And kiddos, if anybody wants to go to Children's Church, you're more than welcome tonight. We do have that available, so. All right, well, um, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John. Chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 tonight. Let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll get into it here. It says this, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. And those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I find it interesting the way that he opens up chapter 2 here where he says, my dear children. You know, I don't know if John had any children, but he looked at those people that he had ministered over for all those years as his children, certainly as his spiritual children. And you know, as a father who has children, you know, one thing that can be good or that can be bad is that our children often follow in our footsteps as parents. You know, some of the fondest memories that I have when my kids were little um, were the fact that they wanted to do everything that Dad did. You know, I, we have pictures of me out there mowing lawn and one of my boys out there with a little plastic lawnmower, you know, going behind me or next to me. And, you know, when, when my kids were little, we did a lot of remodeling and I was always working on the house or whatever. And they always had a hammer or a screwdriver or something they were messing around with. And, uh, you know, at the time it was like, okay, move, I got work to do, but I, I wish I appreciate, appreciated it as much then as I do now, you know what I mean? Because those really were some just amazing memories. You know, now if my kids have grown, and old, have grown older, you know, I can, I, I can see traits in them um, that they have gotten from their mother and I. Some of them are good, and some of them you kind of just cringe at and go, um, they must have got that from you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about there. But, you know, I can tell you that for my children, uh, much like John here, because I love my children, I pray for them daily. You know, I pray that they would live their lives um, for the Lord. My, my prayer for them daily is that my kids would live like Jesus, that they would choose to overcome temptation and avoid sin and, and choose to live God's way instead. You know, something I pray for my kids all the time, literally, literally every day, is that, that they would do more for the Lord in their lives than I do. That they would be more devoted to the Lord, more committed to the gospel, more committed to building his kingdom, and, and do more for his kingdom than I could ever do. I pray this all the time. Why? Because I love my kids, right? And I, and I want the best for them spiritually, not just physically or economically, but spiritually I want the best for my kids. I, I want them to experience what a close fellowship with Jesus is all about. And if you're, if you're an adult here, you know what I'm talking about, that you've, you've walked with the Lord, you've experienced the Lord, you've experienced His goodness, you've experienced that joy that comes from knowing Him, and it's something that you can't explain. It's something that you can't really 
tell people exactly how that, what, what it feels like, and yet you know in your soul because you've walked with them, and, and that's something that you so desperately want your kids to experience because it's so fulfilling and so amazing. And that's really the heart of the Apostle John here. As he, as he opens chapter 2 here, speaking to these people as his own dear children. Uh, again, John here was a man that was well, well into his 80s or probably even 90s at this time. He had been ministering to these people for who knows how long, and he loved them literally as if they were his own children. And what he wanted from, for them was that they would be able to experience the joy that he was talking about in chapter 1. That, that joy of having that intimate koinonia fellowship with the Lord. That, that koinonia fellowship is that as if Jesus is right by our side, walking through life next to us, walking with us through every up and every down. And, and no matter what life throws at you, there's just an unshakable joy and, and um, fulfillment that you have just because you're walking with Jesus. And that's, that's really the heart of this entire book is John wanting this for his fellow believers to experience the same type of love and joy of the Lord that he experienced. But as we saw last week, he said that the only way that a Christian is able to experience this is if they walk in what he calls the light of the Lord. And, you know, what that is exactly, I mean, I guess we don't know, but I picture it like this. As I said last week, this illustration, if you can picture God being right here and surrounding God as this, this light that no darkness could penetrate. And when we're in right relationship with Him, when, we, when we're His children, we made the decision to follow Christ in faith. When we come into that light, as we walk in faith, as, we, as we're obedient to God's Word and, and steer clear of sin and all those things, we stay next to Him. We stay with Him. We experience His goodness. We experience His grace and forgiveness. We experience His peace and His comfort. We experience all those things that are available in him but as he said last week when we when we sin when we when we choose to to walk in a sinful manner to walk in what he called spiritual darkness it's as if we exit out of that light and when we're not in that light we no longer feel that peace and that comfort and that goodness of the lord now the good thing for us is that he says there's always a way back in for the Christian, no matter what we do or how bad we mess up, once we're in that light, even though we come out of it, there's always a welcoming hands of the, 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 the hands of the Lord are always welcoming, calling his children back to him because he doesn't want us out there. He wants that fellowship with us more than we could ever want it. He loves us more than we could ever imagine or comprehend, and, and he wants to, us to experience his goodness and his grace. But the only way to do that is, as 1 John 1, 9 says, that we confess our sins as we mess up. We, we come right back to Him and we say, forgive me, Lord. I, I don't want to walk in spiritual darkness. I want to walk next to You. And so we confess those sins to Him daily in prayer. And it says that He's faithful and just to forgive us those sins and, and to cleanse us from all of that wickedness. And so when we mess up, we confess those things. He, he draws us back. He, he pulls us back to Himself, right? an amazing gift of grace that God has given us. Aren't you glad that, that you have that available to you as an option? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we mess up every single day. Do things that we know we're just dumb. We know we're just wrong. You're just like, oh, why do I keep doing this? And yet there's this knowledge that God's saying, come back. I, I want you next to me. Now, 
there is a reality that we have a side of us that's called that sinful nature, that it is all too often drawn to the things of this world, right? But the goal, as we're going to see here in chapter 2, is that we don't sin. In fact, the best way to stay in right fellowship with the Lord, the best way to stay connected to Him by His side continually is to just avoid sin completely. You know, like some people, you know, they, they look at it like this, right? It's like, okay, so I know if I confess my sins that he's going to forgive me, right? So I'm going to go ahead and enjoy the world and enjoy the things of the world and enjoy my life, and then I will confess those things and get right with God, and then I'm going to go back and live my life. Well, that's not exactly the point, right? The point is we experience amazing grace so that should cause us to want to also glorify and honor God in our lives, right? So it's not just about getting to experience Him, it's also about honoring Him and bringing Him the, the, the glory that He deserves in our lives. And to do that, as John says here in verse 1, our aim should be to not sin. He says there, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. That should be our aim. Our goal, our aim, our target as Christians should be sinless living. And so I'm sure maybe a question that's going through your mind right now is, is, is that even possible to live without sin as people with a fallen nature? Well, it is possible technically, as we're going to see in a moment, but it's going to take work. Now, just consider for a moment this, right? John says, he says, he's writing this so that you will not sin. So, so obviously it's possible, right? How is it possible is the question. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and it says this. He asks this question, the Apostle Paul, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? So that's to the people back then that thought the same way that people do today, right? God's a gracious God. He's going to forgive me no matter what, so I'm going to go on sinning so that his grace may abound, right? No. He says, of course not. Now listen to what he says here. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we, were di for we died, we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. So he's saying, when we came to faith in Christ, right, that if there's this picture of baptism that we do here, when a person stands in the water, it's their old self, it's their old sinful self. They go down under the water, it's this picture of Christ cleansing them, washing their sins completely away. And then you pull them up all out of the water, and we say you know, that they, they're living this new life in Christ, this new person, born again, right? And so spiritually, this literally takes place spiritually in our lives. So it says we live new lives. Now look at, look at verse 5. He says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And he says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Before a person comes to faith in Christ, they sin because they're a sinner. That they sin because they have no power otherwise to do other th than that, right? They, they sin because that's who they are. But when we come to faith in Jesus, something else changes. He gives us the ability to say no to sin. So when John says here, I'm writing this so that you will not sin, he's speaking of a spiritual reality and a spiritual power that is available to all of us to literally choose not to sin. 
So the question is then, how do we do that? I want to talk about the provision we have to fight against sin. See, one thing we have is the provision of the Word of God to guide us. As Christians, this book literally is the instruction manual for life. Anything that we need to know about what is right, about what is wrong, about what God wants from us or what He wants to avoid is found within the pages of this book. Our tool to sinless living comes right here. Can't do it without it. You think about some of these passages of Scripture um, in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? You think about staying in the light of God. The word of, the word of God helps us stay within that light, right? Or Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Or the more, probably the most famous 119, and 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. We have the power of the Word of God, and He tells us exactly what's right, what's wrong, and how to do it. But we also have the provision of the Holy Spirit inside of us. You see, just the Bible alone, we couldn't do it. People had the Word of God. People have the Word of God today, and if, but if they don't have this next part, they have no power. You know what else we have? We not only have the Word of God to guide us, we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. And what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Acts 1-8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Heavenly, God-like power we have. The Spirit of the living God living within us. Well, what's, the, what's His job? Well, the rest of that verse says you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. He says you're going to be my witnesses, right? Now, certainly he was talking about a vocal witness, but how good is a vocal witness without the physical witness? If, if we're not living for the Lord, if people don't see Christ in us, do you think they're going to listen to what's going on in our mouth when we talk about Jesus? No. So it's not just the power to speak about Jesus, it's the power to live for Jesus, to live out the principles of the Word of God. Consider John 14, verse 26. It says, When the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name comes, He will teach you and remind you of everything that I have told you. So the Holy Spirit inside of us, He teaches us what's Jesus' words, right? The Word of God, the Word of Christ. And He will remind us of these things. John 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so he teaches us, he reminds us, and then he guides us, and he gives us the power to actually live them out and walk these things out in our lives. You're like, but yeah, there's so many temptations, so how do I do it? Well, how about 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me, the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. Friends, we don't have any good excuses as Christians. I wish we did. I mean, I make them all the time, I'm just saying. But I mean, we, we don't have any good ones because we have everything we need to do what the Apostle John says here and walk without sin. We not only have the Holy Spirit, we have the power of heaven available to us through the portal of prayer. 
We just went through the Lord's Prayer here a number of weeks ago in the Gospel of Matthew, but one of the verses there in 6.13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, right? And so we have the portal of prayer, like Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have everything that we could ever possibly need to live for the Lord. All we have to do is choose to do it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us this, the temptations in our lives are no different from what other people experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can stand, and he says when we're tempted, he will show us a way out so that we can endure it. So literally, when we got saved, when we received the Spirit of God in us, he gave us the potential to live a righteous life. We can choose, as John says here, to not sin. It's possible. Will it take work? Sure. Was it, is it going to take study of the Word of God? Yeah. Is we get to lean on God's strength? Absolutely. But that should be our aim. And, and remember the point of John's letter here. The, the point of this is, is he wants us to maintain continual fellowship with God because that's the only place where we're going to experience fulfillment and joy. What brings us out of that light? Sin. And so he says here the best way to stay in the light of the Lord, in his presence, in that, that, that fellowship, is to just keep sin out of our lives completely. But what if we mess up? Well, if we mess up, we have 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them, right? To cleanse us from all, the, all that unrighteousness. But have you ever asked, like, how is that possible? Why is it that easy that we mess up, we sin against a holy, infinite God, and all we got to do is confess, and he lets us right back in? It, it almost doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, I'm glad, and I'm thankful. Well, that's where verse... The, the second part of verse 1 and verse 2 kind of come in. And I want to talk here about our advocate. Verse 1, let's go back to verse 1 here and finish that off. He says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. What, what is an advocate? It's somebody that, it's this picture of somebody pleading another's case before a judge. It's almost like a, a, de, a defending judge or a defending lawyer, if you, if, if you will. The, the lawyer that is, is defending the case of the one who is accused. Now, in this case, God the Father, if you can picture him as the judge, Jesus is our advocate pleading our case. Who is the prosecutor? Satan. See, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 gives us this picture that, that right now Satan, day and night, is before the throne of God accusing the brethren, accusing Christians, bringing up accusations. Now, there is a reality that we are sinners who deserve God's wrath, and Satan knows this better than anybody. And Revelation 12.10 gives us a picture that, that he's before God right now saying these people are guilty. God, they've sinned. God, you know it. You saw what they have done. God, you are holy and you are righteous. You have no choice because you said that the wages of sin is death. You said that if those people sin, they're going to be removed from your presence and they're going to die. You have no choice but to judge them. Now, to an extent, doesn't he have a point? Well, he does. 
So you think about this reality for a moment. The Bible says that God is holy and completely without sin. He is righteous and perfect in all his ways, which means that God cannot make a mistake. Right? If he's perfect and righteous and sovereign, as the scriptures say, he can't make a mistake. That means he can't misspeak. He can't declare something and go, oops. It don't work that way. So, so think about this predicament that, that, that God's in and that we're in, right? And this is what, Satan, what Satan's point is before God. See, God declared from the beginning that sin comes with the price, that price is death. He, he, he showed from the very beginning that, that sin separates us from him. Adam and Eve kicked away out of the garden, out of the presence of God. This is the reality of all humanity since then. And so this problem that man has had ever since then is, is how do we get away with God not punishing us for our sins? If he's just, if he's righteous, if he's holy, if he's declared these things, how in the world do we get away with him not judging us and sending us to hell? See, this is something to think about, right? Well, the answer is Jesus. He, he's the answer to the eternal riddle of how a holy, just God cannot make people like you and me that have faith in Christ pay for our sins. Jesus is the answer. He's the only way, and he says in verse 2 that he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That, and, and, and the King James, or the New King James, it says it like this, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. It's a huge word, but the word itself really is, is a word that the English language doesn't describe very well in this verse, in this translation anyway. And what it means is to absolutely and completely satisfy. So what this verse is saying here in verse 2, it tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, when he sacrificed his life, when he gave up his life and died, that that absolutely satisfied God's wrath on sinners. That's what verse 1 and verse, that's why Jesus can advocate for us. That's why we have salvation. That's why God can withhold his wrath upon us because Jesus paid the price for us. Romans 5 gives us a picture that Jesus' death literally canceled out the curse of sin itself. So does this mean, because this verse says here, that it's not only for our sins, but the sins of the world. Does this mean that what Jesus did just automatically counts for everybody? No. It's available to everybody. His death on the cross was enough. It was powerful enough to pay for every single person's sin who has ever lived or whoever will. It was powerful enough, but it only comes to fruition in a person's life when they place their faith in Jesus. When they say, Jesus, I want what you did to count for me. Come into my life. Save me from my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And then what happens is that his perfect life is transferred onto us. He who knew no sin became sin, though, so that we're righteousness of God that we could become that, right? There's this great transfer. He took our sins, we got his righteousness. He took our imperfections, we got his perfection. And now God looks at us and doesn't see someone who is full of sin and dark and black. He sees somebody that is pure and holy and righteous. That's what verse 2 is telling us here. Verse 1, that, that he, that's why he can advocate for us. Um, David Guzak, the um, commentator I, I read this week, just listen to what he says about this picture in heaven. He says, it's as if we stand as the accused 
in the heavenly court before a righteous judge, God the Father. Again, who's the accuser? Satan. But our advocate, Jesus, stands up to answer the charges of our accuser. Jesus said he is completely guilty, Your Honor. Picture yourself. You're standing before God, and he's speaking to you. He is completely guilty, Your Honor. In fact, he has even done worse than what he's accused of and now makes full and complete confession before you. The gavel slams, and the judge asks what should be his sentence. Our advocate answers his sentence should be death. He deserves the full wrath of this righteous court. All along, our accuser, Satan, is having great fun at this. We're guilty. We already admitted it. We know our punishment. We see it. But then our advocate asks to approach the bench. And as he draws close to the judge, he simply says, Father, this one belongs to me. I already paid his price. I already took the wrath and punishment from this court that he deserves. And the gavel sounds again. The judge cries out, guilty as charged, and yet penalty absolutely satisfied. Praise God. And then he goes on. Our accuser starts going crazy. Aren't you going to put him on probation? No, the judge shouts. The penalty has been completely paid by my son. There is nothing to put him on probation for. And then the judge turns to our advocate and says, Son, you said this one belongs to you. I release him into your care. Case closed. Woo that is good stuff. Friends, that's the picture of verse 2 and 1 here. Verse 1 and 2 here. Our advocate, this is what he's doing for us every day. Isn't that amazing? So what do we do with it? I want to talk about these last verses. I want to talk about the anchor that we have. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to know what God's Word says about us, but it's another whole thing to actually believe it. I mean, we just talked about an incredible truth. And yet one of the biggest problems of sin in our lives, outside of the fact that it brings us out of fellowship with God, is that it gives Satan a foothold in our lives to rob us not only of the joy of the Lord, but even of the confidence that we have in Him as being His children. Even the confidence of our salvation itself. See, when we're in close fellowship with the Lord, there is this assurance that comes with it. We feel safe. Because we're here, we're next to Him, we can feel Him. But when we aren't connected to God like we should be, our confidence in our relationship with Him is often shaken. And it's impossible to experience the joy of the Lord that John talks about here while at the same time doubting our salvation and doubting our relationship with Him and our connection to Him. So what's the solution? Is there a way that we can walk in this continual confidence? Can we get to the point where we don't give Satan that foothold any longer? And the answer is yes, but we have to anchor our lives to the Word of God. Because as I said, the only hope to stay connected to the Lord, just to have that confidence in Him, is to stay in His light, to stay in His presence. And the only way to do that is to remove sin from our lives. See, the Bible is not just a book of do's and don'ts given to us to limit our fun on earth. It is an anchor to our souls. And obedience to it secures our hearts and minds to who we belong to, which is Christ. Look at verse 3 for a moment. He says, and we can be sure that we know Him. You hear that? We can be sure. 
Have you ever had that time in your life where you just kind of doubted, like, am I saved, am I not saved? Am I his, am I not? I, mean, I, I know I've done the right thing, but golly, I just don't feel like I'm actually going there. Who's felt like that ever in their lives? It's just real, isn't it? So what does he say here? He says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Well, how does obeying God's commandments give us confidence in our relationship with him? Because when we obey his word, what are we not doing? We're not sinning. And if we're not sinning, guess what? We are connected to the Lord. To the Lord. When we are in that light, we're experiencing his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his comfort. We're experiencing all that God has to give us here on earth. But when we're outside of that light, we're no longer experiencing it. And can I tell you something? That's when the doubt comes. The only time those doubts and those worries and those anxieties come is when we are outside of fellowship with God. But when we're connected to Him, they're gone. Those things fade into the, into the darkness because we're within the light of the Lord. Listen to what verse 5 says. He says, But those who obey God's word truly know how complete, truly show how completely they love Him, and that is how we know, again, that we are living in Him. Now, it's true here. I mean, I, I really don't like the way the New Living Translation translates this verse. It's not wrong. It's just not complete. And, and this is what I mean. You know, it's true that obeying God is the most tangible way that we can express our love for Him, right? I mean, it's true. For what, the, for what we just talked about in verse 1 and 2 there about our advocate in heaven, obedience to God's Word is a tangible way that we can show God how much we love Him, and we should. But that's not all that this verse is saying. I want to read what, the, what this says in the old translation. New King James says this, but whoever keeps His Word Truly the love of God is perfected in him. You see the difference? It's not only that when we walk in God's word and obey it that we show God his love. It's in that reality that we experience the fullness of God's love. Do you see the difference? When we're walking the way we're supposed to walk, his love is perfected in us. It's not just that we're loving him. He's loving us back and we're experiencing the fullness of it. And it's when we are experiencing that that those doubts and worries begin to go away. The closer we get to Him, the more we will come to know Him. The more we get to know Him, the more we will experience His love. The more we experience His love, the greater our love for Him will be. As our love for God grows, our desire for sin will become less and less. And the result is that every day that passes, we will grow more and more confident in our walk with Him and become more and feel more and more secure every day. It's amazing. The closer I get to Jesus, I can tell you, the less I worry about death. I don't fear it anymore. It's gone. That, that fear of death is absolutely gone because my hope is secured in the person of Jesus Christ. And I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm His. Praise God for that truth. But, verse 4, if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar, not living in the truth. Now, again, he's speaking to Christians here. He's not speaking to non-Christians here. I mean, there is an application that you know people by their fruit, and if you have people that aren't living for the, for the Lord at all, it's a pretty good indication that they may not be his. But that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is this. It's saying that if, if you're a Christian, and you're living in known sin in your life, and you're saying, hey, my relationship with God is great. John says you're a liar. It can't be. 
because you cannot walk in sin and walk with the Lord. It doesn't work that way because sin separates us from God. And when he says, I know, someone claims, I know God, it's not talking about, you know, being able to quote Scripture about God. It's not talking about having theological details about God. It's talking about experiencing God. It's talking about that intimate fellowship. Like, I I don't just know things about my wife. I know my wife personally. See the difference? And he says, if we're walking in sin, if we're walking outside of the light, you can say you're right with God all you want, but the reality is you're not. So what it comes down to is this. It's our choice. What do we want? Do we want to walk in fellowship with the Lord? Do we want to experience His goodness? Do we want to experience all the comfort and peace and grace that He has to offer? That confidence that we know that we're His no matter what comes our way, when the storms of life come, when the, when the waters of our lives rage? Do we want to walk through life with confidence or walk through constantly be shaken? Constantly full of fear, constantly full of anxiety, constantly full of worry. I don't know about you, but I choose the first one. I want to walk in confidence and enjoy, just like the Apostle John says here. And if we want to do that, we got to do what verse 6 says. Those who say they live in God should live what? Their lives as Jesus did. Can I tell you something that Jesus never did? He never sinned. And his relationship with his Father in heaven, although he was here, was as close as it ever was. He walked with his Father. He experienced his Father. He experienced his love and his grace every single day. And it's because he was sinless and he walked in perfect righteousness. And friends, that's our aim. Let it be our aim. Yes, when we mess up, we have an advocate. But you know what? Let it be our aim to walk as close to Jesus as we possibly can to say no to sin and to say yes to God's Word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time in your Word, Lord, and just for the amazing, amazing teaching that came tonight, God. I'm just thankful, Father, for what the Apostle John wrote here because, God, I think oftentimes as Christians we we do. We we get sucked into the things of the world, Lord. We, We mess up. We sin. And then we feel this distance from you. And when we feel this distance from you, all we hear is Satan's voice in our head talking about how unworthy we are and how God couldn't love us. And, and in those moments, God, we begin to doubt our salvation and we're just absolutely robbed of joy, God, in our lives. And that's exactly the opposite of what you want. It's exactly the opposite of what the Apostle John wanted for all of us as well. Father, you want to walk with us more than we could ever want to walk with you. You love us more than we could ever begin to love you, Lord God, and help us to remember that and not to lose sight of that. In fact, you loved us so much, as your word said here tonight, Jesus went and and paid that punishment, satisfying your wrath on our behalf so that we could walk with you. God, let us never forget that. Let let that that motivate us, Father, to to live for you, to, to choose to glorify you, to choose to walk away from sin. Give us the strength through your spirit to live for you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, tonight instead of singing,